Warning, there will be explicit language in this episode, so please proceed with caution. This episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome all of my snoops and kooks, private eyes and conspiracy theorists. Today on the Aton Papers, we are tapping into episode Uncoblin Asian. On today's paper, we are discussing how the model minority narrative was used as a tool to benefit the United States. I'm Dominique. And I'm Saeed. And we are your wonderful hosts of the Aton Papers, and we're glad that you could join us to listen in on what we're tapping into today. So grab your magnifying glass, your coffee, tea, or your elixir of choice, and let's dive in. My elixir of choice is a cocktail with simple ingredients that I love. It's a take on a gin sour and gimlet, which includes gin, lemon juice, egg white, and Angostura bitters. I simply added Demerari simple syrup and lime juice. We shall call it a gremlet. On our podcast, my goal is to research and present the facts of that research. And Saeed brings common sense knowledge and awareness, perhaps even a different angle to the topic. This collaboration provokes thought, inspires education, and evokes wonderful banter for an all-around interesting podcast. Let's dive in. Smart, hardworking, nice. The adjectives that respondents offered up in a recent poll conducted by the nonprofit organization LAUNCH, which stands for Leading Asian Americans to Unite for Change, when describing Asian Americans. Smart, hardworking, nice. An all too familiar reminder that Asian Americans are still perceived as the model minority. For those who doubt that racial resentment lingers in this nation, Asian Americans are a favorite talking point. The argument goes something like this. If white privilege is so oppressive, if the United States is so hostile towards its minorities, why do census figures show that Asian Americans out-earn everyone? Since the end of World War II, This myth about Asian Americans and their perceived collective success has been used as a racial wedge to minimize the role racism plays in the struggles of other minority groups, such as Black Americans and Indigenous Americans. Before we dive into a bit of history, let's discuss exactly what a model minority is. The model minority is a minority demographic, whether based on ethnicity, race, or religion, whose members are perceived as achieving a higher degree of socioeconomic success than the population average, thus serving as a reference group to outgroups. So basically, a model minority is viewed as doing everything right. This success is typically measured by educational attainment, representation in managerial and professional occupations, and household income, along with other socioeconomic indicators such as low criminality and high family-slash-marital stability. The concept of the model minority is controversial, as it has been historically used to suggest there is no need for government intervention in socioeconomic disparities between certain racial groups. This argument has been most often applied in America to contrast Asian Americans and Jewish Americans against black and indigenous people, perpetuating a model minority myth that Asian and Jewish Americans are good, law-abiding, 
productive citizens while promoting the stereotype that indigenous people and African Americans are prone to crime and dependent on welfare. In an article written by the New York Times by Andrew Sullivan, he wrote, and I quote, today, Asian Americans are among the most prosperous, well-educated, and successful ethnic groups in America. What gives? It couldn't possibly be that they maintained solid two-parent family structures, had social networks that looked after one another, placed enormous emphasis on education and hard work, and thereby turned false negative stereotypes into true positive ones, could it? It couldn't be that all whites are not racist or that the American dream still lives. The issue with this quote, Sullivan's piece was rife with generalizations about a group as vastly diverse as Asian Americans. Not only inaccurate, his piece spreads the idea that Asian Americans as a group are a monolith even though parsing data by ethnicity reveals a host of disparities. On the other end, African immigrants and Americans born to African immigrants have been described as the invisible minority, primarily as a result of a high degree of success in the United States. Due to misconceptions and stereotypes, their success has not been acknowledged by the greater American society as well as other Western societies, hence the label invisible. The invisibility of the success of Africans was touched on by Dr. Kifa Otiso, an academic professor from Bowling Green State University who stated that, and I quote, because these immigrants come from a continent that is often cast in an unfavorable light in the U.S. media, there is a tendency for many Americans to miss the vital contribution of these immigrants to meeting, US, to meeting critical U.S. domestic labor needs, enhancing American global economic and technological competitiveness. In the 2000 U.S. Census, it was revealed that African immigrants were the most educated immigrant group in the United States, even when compared to Asian Americans. Some 48.9% of all African immigrants hold a college diploma. This is more than double the rate of native-born white Americans and nearly four times the rate of native-born African Americans. According to the 2000 census, the rate of college diploma acquisition is highest among Egyptian Americans at 59.7% followed closely by Nigerian Americans at 58.6%. Of the African-born population in the U.S., aged 25 and older, 87.9% reported having a high school degree or higher, compared with 78.8% of Asian-born immigrants and 76.8% of European-born immigrants, respectively. This success comes in spite of the facts such as that more than 75% of African foreign born in the United States have only arrived since the 1990s and that African immigrants make up a disproportionately small percentage of immigrants coming to the United States such as in 2007 alone, African immigrants made up only 3.7% of all immigrants in coming to the United States, and again in 2009, they made up only 3.9%. The model minority narrative that we understand today was not imposed on Asians by white Americans. Research by Ellen Wu 
is that, and I quote, Asians were complicit in the creation of the model minority myth. The model minority myth was an unintended outcome of earlier attempts by Asian Americans to be accepted and recognized as human beings. They wanted to be seen as Americans who were worthy of respect and dignity. Asians went from being seen as promiscuous, dangerous, and a threat to our economy to being seen as the model and the group who all racial groups to look to and emulate. It was more of an interplay between less racism and less prejudice that afforded Asian Americans more opportunity for advancement as a way of confirming the new and better stereotypes. Wu says that Asian Americans were very intentional about painting themselves in a positive light because they knew they would be crucial if they wanted any type of social acceptance, which would lead to financial gains, career gains, and overall social power in the U.S., Throughout history, we have seen the desire of wanting acceptance within the U.S. When other European ethnic groups would enter America before they were considered white by white Americans, they began to recognize and understand racism and then partake in the degradation and racism against black Americans as to be socially accepted by the white majority of America. And it worked. The Irish and Italians were accepted and were considered as being, quote, white Americans, whereas before, they were simply viewed as ethnic immigrants. Racial minority groups, those with less social power, are able to make significant gains when it also converges with the interests of the majority group, which in America is white people. A bit of history. Black Americans at the same time were striving to do the same things, such as gain acceptance, social power, and receive basic rights and respect. It was convenient for political leaders to hear the Asian voices. The model minority narrative may have started with Asian Americans, but it was quickly co-opted by white politicians who saw it as a tool to win allies in the Cold War. Discrimination was not a good look on the international stage. So embracing Asian Americans provided a powerful means for the U.S. to proclaim itself a racial democracy and thereby credited as a leader of the free world. During World War II, lawmakers thought that the Chinese exclusion made for bad diplomacy. So Congress decided to overturn Chinese exclusion as a goodwill gesture to China, who is America's Pacific ally. At the beginning of the Cold War, American policymakers were attentive to putting their best image out to the world. They were very interested in winning the hearts and minds in Asia. It was a strategic move to undo the negative images posed by Americans against Asians, particularly the Chinese, in order for America to be seen as the global leader and continue to stay well respected by their allies. Because America wouldn't get those same gains from reversing their discrimination laws against black people, they didn't. And therefore, black Americans didn't see those same gains. It was the bureaucracy of it pulling the strings. Asian Americans throughout history in America were being oppressed and ignored by politicians. And it was only when it served the interests and created new opportunities for the people in power that Asians were allowed any kind of social mobility. So, 
Asian Americans were actually used as a pawn to repair the United States' relationship with the world. So the model minority myth was a sort of way of rewriting history and benefiting the interest and reputation of the United States. Today, we can still recognize manipulative ways that are used to separate minority groups. America elevates one, the Asian population, and devalues another, Black Americans. Mm -hmm. I think we, as minorities, have to understand the history, recognize what is happening, and work to not fall for the manipulation. I mean, in America, in such a way, it basically has pit us against each other. The recent challenge to the Supreme Court for affirmative action was led by Asian Americans. And I just find that interesting because they were challenging that they weren't able to get in based off someone I think that they um, had assessed was lesser um, from um, an intellectual standpoint in testing. So, and that's just one of the ways that America has pitted us against each other, as, as well as an uptick in Asian American violence by African Americans. When early on in the struggle, in the civil rights struggle, we were together. There's lots of coalitions, especially in the West Coast, of Asian and black people, and somehow we have fallen off from there. And I'm, I'm sure that has to do with the division of America, creating all this divisiveness between the different cultures here so that we do not unite against the greater power structure of plutocracy. Absolutely. And as I mentioned um, earlier, you see where it started. It was because it benefited the interest of the okay. United States. Yes. So it was, it was a, a, a political move to yep. create this image for America to, to continue having this image of a peaceful and democratic free world. You know, and I also find it interesting, and it may not be um, connected, but it seems that each one of the, the, the invisible minority, the model minority, they all have homelands, whereas black Americans and indigenous Americans, basically homeland is here. Right. And so that the white Americans have basically claimed this as, home, as their homeland, it seems they've used the rest of the effort to discredit those who could claim it as a homeland and everyone else as immigrants. I don't know if that's a play. That's just an observation that I do see. Because when you talk about Asian Americans, and they're not one, you have Japan, China, Korea, Thailand. There's right. multiple countries. Right. They kind of grouped Asian Americans and this whole model minority narrative as a monolith. And they're not a monolith. It, and, you know, but that's, a, that's the tendency of white Americans. They group all minorities monolith. All blacks are black. All Africans are African. All Hispanics are Mexican. Even though it's probably 100 Spanish-speaking countries around the world, right. all Spanish are Mexicans. And that stereotype seems to happen a lot when it comes to the groups. But when it comes to white Americans, they make sure that you know that, oh, I'm Italian, and my people are from France. And, you know, they, they make, make it clear that the difference in the ethnicities. And, and I think that's part of the typing that they use to create the model minority. Mm. It makes it easy to put everybody in one group. Not, not, that they're, not that each person or each group of people are individual or individual groups, mm. but they're just one. So you can, all Asians are smart. 
well, maybe some Chinese are smart, a few Japanese, but so are Africans, so are African Americans. I mean, that's just not advertised because it doesn't play into the narrative that they created for model minorities. Right, and that goes back to the invisible uh, model minority that I spoke about when it came to Africans because America and its media have shined a negative light on the whole continent. Okay, and we're talking about hundreds of countries within a continent. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't, you know, view them as the model minority. Again, it was there was no interest for America. It wouldn't have served any type of interest for them. With them shining a light, a positive light on Asian Americans, particularly the Chinese, it it benefited them because they had an ally with uh, an allyship with China. And, and I find it interesting the the countries that. America has dog that has really put out a lot of immigrants that have assisted Americans in their success in the last hundred years. They've remarked them as shithole countries, yes. most recently by President, ex-President Donald Trump. But a lot of immigrants from Africa, that continent itself, has benefited Americans in so many ways. From Absolutely. financial institutions I mean, it's computers. been exploited. Uh, I mean, we're not even talking about the natural resources. We're just talking about the people who've immigrated themselves and what they've added to the society. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that and this whole model minority narrative, how do we feel that, you know, we can come together and recognize what this is? Again, it's easier to sit in privilege when it's not affecting you. And that's not to say that Asian Americans don't face discrimination because they do and yes. they don't face stereotypes because they do you know what i mean i just think it's something we need to look deeper as as minority groups and look at okay what's really going on here like with the recent move that ron DeSantis did in florida with saying that ap asian american history was important to incorporate into school curriculum but, but not, not black. black but not black american <laughs> yeah. history right I mean, which is american history it is american history but of course we know that's an intentional thing because exactly if you look at and, and this is a funny and this is kind of anecdotal evidence of what i'm saying here but in the 1970s there was a comedian named richard pryor and he did a skit called new ends and in the skit new ends and of course i'm abbreviating the language he was talking about white people importing or adopting Asian Americans, specifically from Vietnam at this time, because, you know, in this model minority identity, they are more accepted. And so they were more accepted for adoption. They were more accepted to be ingratiated into their community initially. You know, and you see that in, I mean, it's, it was a Disney movie about a young girl who came from Vietnam and won a spelling bee. Yes, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, everybody <laughs> remembers that. And she actually didn't win. She actually placed second. Second, yeah, but, but for the story, yeah. for cinematic sake, she won. Mm-hmm. And, and she was an adopted child. Mm-hmm. Wasn't she from Vietnam? She was from Vietnam. Yeah. And war-torn Vietnam at that. Yes. And um, so this is part of that, when we talk about how media plays into it, how many black children have been displaced and challenged wasn't spelling bees? I'm sure there are plenty of them. Oh, but absolutely. But again, this is part of the, the narrative that they were creating about the model minority. Like, look at this girl. She can come from war-torn Vietnam yes. and learn English so well, so quickly that she could win a spelling bee. Why can't African Americans who are currently here even read? Right. But <laughs> but again, history shows us what happened. Yeah. One was elevated for the benefit and interest of the United States and one was 
devalued and degraded and continue to have discriminatory laws against them and systemic laws put into place to prevent the economic success. And, and over the years, they perpetuated this narrative. And basically, each minority has been used in different ways. The Asian minority has been used to promote America's diversity. Mm-hmm. The black minority has been used to basically promote the negativities about America. Like, we've been stood up to be the welfare queen, even though it's More mostly Caucasian. Yeah, yes. You know that. Mm-hmm. And we've been the face of crime, although white people literally commit crime. And These crime are the numbers. Is, and when they say things like black on black crime, crime is usually conducted within proximity of yes. the person that you're around. So black people are normally around other black people. But they never say white on white crime. Absolutely. Or not. Asian on Asian crime. However, we can look at shows like Snapped and Killer Next Door and Neighbor. I mean, it, plethora it, of shows that show this. But for some reason in our mind, People don't let go of this black-on-black crime. Well, I mean, as we see in this world, and this happens with each nation or each people, it's easy to blame the other. It's always easy to vilify the other. And since we're probably as far from white as you can get by our (laughs) physicality, we are certainly the other to them. Absolutely. So it's easy to say, these are the criminals. These are the ones. These are the dregs of society. They created this image. Like initially, part of the image that created, that got created about black people started from, of all the places you wouldn't have never thought, a census taker. This guy was taking a census in the early 1900s, and he visited whites and blacks and all around New York City because he was a census taker in New York. And he said he found that blacks lived in squalor in these type of situations, so they must like it, and this must be how they exist. What he didn't realize was the context. No, they didn't like it. This is not how they exist. This is how they were forced to survive. They were marginalized in these places, redlining, and forced to live in these poverty conditions, not giving you work or paying you a quarter to 30 to 50% less than your white counterpart. This is what created those conditions. And instead of understanding the context, he wrote a whole book that expounded a stereotype that exists to this day. And so it's important to understand context behind stereotypes. Not that I'm getting too much into that because we're talking about the discrepancies between these minorities, but these minority discrepancies are based on stereotypes that are outside the narrative of the people themselves. Mm. And so I think it's important to understand who is creating these and why. So like you said, for the Asian stereotype of positivity, the Asians leaned into it because the white the white Americans needed a political move on the world stage. Right. You know, but for us, for the regular white people and the curry votes and to control the minds of the people, they also need a villain. Mm. They need something on the equally negative aspect, and there comes us. Ah. You know, and, and you see this throughout history in, in politics. Whenever people want to move people, especially in the 70s and 80s, they vilify black people. Ronald Reagan did it with the welfare queen. Um, George Bush did it with a tough on crime. Hell, Bill Clinton did it with a tough on crime. Absolutely. I mean, and it's always black when you say, because we have to fix the urban areas. Well, who are in the urban areas? Us, because we migrated there for work, because in the South we were getting lynched and hung. So we migrated to the North, and we were redlining to the urban areas. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Which created this whole narrative. So you can see how the manipulation and control has created this, and it takes us, each individual, to deconstruct that narrative in ourselves. Mm. 
because that's what it has to be. We're not going to do it as a society. We're not going to do it in mass. I don't. I would love to believe that, but people are too diverse. And I can't, and I'm not going to group people with like minds because I'm a black person. I think different than the next black person next to me, and so on and so forth. But one person at a time is how we deconstruct these narratives of what they told us that we are. Mm. That is so good. Thank you for your input on this. That was very helpful. And I love how you, you um, mentioned the census taker because that is a, an unknown historical aspect that a lot of people didn't know. And listen, I don't know the exact name. You guys can research this. As a matter of fact, after the show, I will do some research and we'll put it on as a link in the comments when I find the story because I think it's important for everybody to on read. On our blog. On our blog. Yes. yes. That everybody should know that this, this is how narratives get created. This is how this begins. That narrative from one census taker, I mean, was already feeding into the narratives of Jim Crow. You know, we were known as slaves to work hard, any circumstance. The moment we got free, they're lazy. They're not to be dependent on. They're not trustworthy. But we were when you were master. So nothing changed about our work ethic. Only thing that changed was the narrative of how they wanted to see us. Right. And that's important to know, people, that narratives are created for a specific purpose. Mm. And they're narrating you to how you should see people for their purpose. Remember, those powers that be benefit from this division that we have amongst each other. The whole reason they undermine the Black Panthers, because the Black Panthers weren't about black people. Their literal language that they used, they were about poor and oppressed people. And that came in all different colors. And that's why they destroyed them. They were down with poor whites who would call me an in. But they were deconstructing that ignorance for them to see that we're all, quote unquote, poor and oppressed people. And they're using this division to keep us fighting against each other for scraps. Absolutely. You know, and so we've it, all it, fought it for it. It looks like they were mostly, uh, you know, fighting for black people and their oppression because most black people were poor. And the media controlled the narrative. Absolutely. So they would only show you and tell you that they were fighting for black people, but free lunch program fed blacks, whites, and Hispanics alike when yep. it was a, when it was working. Absolutely. And Asians. And Asians. So yep. we created things to feed everybody. Yes. A lot of the rights that we fought and died for, our ancestors, benefited minorities that are here today. And, and that's one thing I, I do want to express to any minority, any brown person like me, outside of me, anybody that is benefiting in America today, here's the reality. You are benefiting off the back of a black person. Yes. Off the life and blood shed of someone who fought for rights for their people because once we got rights, y'all got rights. Yes, absolutely. You know, I wanted to circle back on something you said in regards to stereotypes and how you know, we're viewed as the negative, no matter how many positives that we do bring to the table and bring to the U.S. There was a movie that starred Sarah Jessica Parker, mm -hmm. and she was, I think she was a teacher, 
And she was on a subway and she saw something like I think it was like a black teen doing something. And she said and at the end of it, she had this whole monologue where she was just talking about, you know, it doesn't matter how many good things that I see black people do. My mind will always go back to the one negative that I saw. And I think that's where we are. And that's just not limited to white people. It's not limited to minorities. It's also not limited to black people, because let's be honest, black people fall into the same uh, yes. opinion of of black people because that has been pushed down our throat for so long. Black is bad, white is good. Even with the dictionary and the way the words are played out, white, if you look up the word white, as Malcolm X said, it is all the positives. On the other hand, on the reverse, you look up the word black and it's all the negatives. Mm -hmm. That plays into the psychology of how we think in the subconscious where a lot of our issues and traumas live is in the subconscious. And that's the whole point of taking a step of deconstruction. Mm. You know, many people don't take that step of self-inventory and deconstructing. Not just think, okay, I think this, why do I think this? And really get into the why. And when you get into the why, you realize that in your subconscious, there are messages that have been planted. And that's deep. And those messages happen in the most innocuous of ways. I mean, we have messages how we deal with our family how we have boundaries, we have messages of everything, and that includes race and how we perceive people who are the other to us. Ooh, good point. That is something that has to be deconstructed, that each individual has to take self-responsibility and be like, why do I think like this? Why do I like this? No, what do I think is good about this? What do I think is bad? And why do I think that? Because we have been programmed from birth. It's not just school that has been programming us, but it's media. And media probably has the most influence because, let's be real, we spend our most time on media, whether it's social media, phone media, television, radio, video. We're constantly being bombarded in our subconscious with messages. And depending on what media you choose, that depends on what message you are bombarded with. And so... I would encourage people to start looking at things that are deconstructing race and deconstructing human problems as in character and boundaries because race may be the, the expression of something deeper going on and we use race as the extended expression of what's going on in ourselves. A lot Even of though we know race is a made, was a made-up construct. And, that, and that's why I say that. We know that this is made up. We know it's not real. But we're willing to look down on someone. And it happens in the same culture, too. Like rich look down on poor. Um, more attractive look down on less attractive. Mm. We all have this problem, but it's easy to quantify it with race. Right. And so that's, that's what ends up happening. Because when you start talking to racist people and really getting into you really they realize, some, some will stick to their guns and ignorance. They realize and you realize this stuff is all made up. It's not even real. I actually identify and like this guy, but I couldn't get past skin color at a time mm. because it was, I was taught so many things about skin color that I believed. I hear that. Thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful. So thank you all for tuning in to listen to our history and our banter. We truly appreciate you. 
be sure you tune in to our website at www.theatonpapers.com and check out our blog and check out our episodes. You can also listen to our episodes via Spotify and Amazon Music at The Aton Papers Podcast. We are trying to incorporate a Q&A, so for those of you who have wanted to leave questions or feedback, that is so helpful. Don't forget on Spotify, there is a way to rate us. We would love to for you to visit and leave us a, a review, leave us a, a rating. We would really, really appreciate that. Again, we are a new podcast and these type of things are very helpful. You can also visit us on Instagram at the Aton Papers and leave us a DM if you have questions or leave a question on any of our posts. We truly appreciate you. And until next time, adios. Adios. <laughs>